Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, hi guys, good morning. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going through our verse-by-verse study of the the Gospel of Matthew here. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back there for you. That's our gift to you. We want you to have uh, God's Word in your hands. As you turn to Matthew chapter 2, let me... uh, Review really from the past couple Sundays, the Holy Spirit taught us how God himself prepared generations and generations and generations of wise men called the Magi to travel over 900 miles for the sole purpose of worshiping the Lord Jesus as a baby. Now think about that. God the Father, he sent Gentile kingmakers from Babylon, of all places. Remember the Tower of Babel? Yeah, Babylon. So these guys worship uh, a, a messianic king who's the king of the Jews because his own people, they didn't want, any, want anything to do with him whatsoever. So the privilege of traveling 900 miles from Babylon to Bethlehem, it took 600 years of preparation And when the Magi arrived at the home of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, these kingmakers, they didn't have to go through that formal process of of ordaining Jesus as a king like all the other kings that they've crowned. No, 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 no. See, Jesus was born a king. They didn't have to make him a king. Jesus is the king of kings. And somehow they knew that. In the same way, they, they somehow knew that the star that also started their trip was the supernatural display of God's glory. And we now call that the Shekinah. So can you imagine (laughs) what Joseph and Mary thought when they heard dozens, if not hundreds of people show up and stop right outside their, their house? They hear horses and camels and all these people talking in a foreign language. I mean, what was going through their mind when they, when they hear the Magi knock. <laughs> Joseph opens the door. He sees all these people dressed like kings. He looks around. He sees the, the soldiers. He sees the servants of the Magi. So what's he thinking? Does he shut the door and, and tell Mary, is, is he fearful? Does he say, hey, Mary, go hide Jesus? That'd be my first response. You want to protect your wife and your children, right? Joseph's heart is about to explode out of his chest because of fear. And he's, he's trying to protect his, his, his wife and the child. They knock again. Joseph cracks the door. Can I help you? And the Magi say something like this. Well, yeah. I know you're going to probably find this just a little hard to believe, but, and then they they tell him the whole story. 
He finally lets a few of these men inside the home. This brings us to verse 11 of last week. And entering the house, they, that's the Magi, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. And falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Now that's a photo I can't wait to see when I get to heaven. I bet both Joseph and Mary look like this. Mouth wide open. And if that wasn't bizarre enough, look at verse 11 again from last week. Then, and then they opened their treasures and they presented him with all their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, what does a baby need all that for? Babies need uh, food and a clean diaper, don't they? And it's here that I just want to back up just a little bit from last week, because Matthew's gospel focuses on how Jesus is a king, But Luke's gospel also focuses on how Jesus is human. So Luke provides an account here that's not in Matthew, but it impacts the story of the Magi. So let's take a look here. Luke 2.25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation. So he was looking forward to the encouragement of Israel, the, the comfort of Israel, And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took Jesus in his arms. He praised God and he says this. He says, Master, now you can dismiss your servant in Peace, just as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. And look at this, verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That light from last week, we know, was the Shekinah glory of God, the star in the heavens. So there's the light. Revelation for who? The Gentiles. God starts with the Magi. Absolutely amazing. So a light for revelation to the Gentiles, glory to your people. And then verse 33, his father and mother, so we have Joseph and Mary, were amazed at what was being said about him. And it's with that amazement that we continue in our scriptures this morning in Matthew's gospel. You know, Joe and Mary, they had no idea that these men would show up to worship Jesus. They had no idea. So what are they thinking? What are they feeling? I mean, it has to be a combination of fear and joy and confusion all at the same time. And yet, they continue to trust God inside that fear, inside that joy and confusion. How long do you think the Magi stayed in their home? Was it just enough for a moment just to worship Jesus and to drop off those gifts and to hightail it out of there? Was that all they did? Scripture doesn't say. I tend to think here that Mary and Joseph had just as many questions for the Magi as the Magi did for them. I think they stayed for hours talking about all these supernatural things taking place. And how the Magi explained their history to Mary and Joe, and they traced it all the way back to Daniel. And that's why we spent so much time in the book of Daniel several weeks ago. And then, I mean, can't you imagine, like, the Magi's questions for Mary and Joseph? 
Mary goes on to explain how the angel Gabriel came and spoke to her that she would give birth to God's only begotten son, being a virgin. Mary going on to describe how nobody believed her. Not one person believed her in this. Not even her husband believed her. Joseph jumps in that conversation and he shares his dream with the Magi and how the Lord told him it was indeed the Holy Spirit that conceived this child. That's what begotten means. And how they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant, and how they couldn't find a place to, st- uh, to stay, and, and Jesus was born in a cave. They, they tell him the whole story. And after one of the most amazing and insightful conversations they've ever had, the Magi leave. Can't you picture Joseph shutting the door, just kind of shaking his head in disbelief, looking over at Mary and saying, man. How is anything going to top that? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word today. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and following. So after they were gone, that's the, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and they escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Father, the psalmist writes... Lord, I remember your name in the night, and I obey your instruction. Such a fitting psalm for today's text, Lord God. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Well, let's take a deeper look here at verse 13. So after they were gone, so that's the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Do you guys know how many times angels are mentioned in the New Testament? A lot, a lot more than I thought, 175 times. Angels are mentioned more in the New Testament than agape love. Isn't that amazing? I think many, many times we miss the importance of angels in Scripture. I also think we'll be stunned, absolutely stunned, How many times the Lord has sent angels to help all of us, guide us, navigate uh, as we stumble through our own lives? Some of us put too much emphasis on angels. We give them credit that that they don't deserve. Others of us, we don't think about angels at all just because it's a little bit too weird. And neither one of those options really is, is healthy theologically. However, the importance of these angels in our scripture passage today is that they are messengers from the Father. These messengers, they take care of Jesus, along with Mary and Joseph. However, Jesus is always the priority. So back to verse 13 here. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So God continues to speak to Joe in dreams. Does God still speak in dreams today? Yeah, sometimes. 
Sometimes. I've heard that, that God is speaking to Muslims right now a lot through dreams. He's been communicating to them over the past couple of years that way. That is way cool. That, that's fascinating. But what is God's primary way of speaking to us today? His word. Yeah. His word tells us, right? Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things, made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So scripture tells us that the primary method of God communicating to us today is his son through the Bible. And that's why Bible is our middle name, River Bible Church. Now, if you took the uh, Experiencing God class last year, we also learned a couple secondary methods in which God speaks. We know that God speaks through prayer. We know that God speaks through our, our own personal life circumstances. And lastly, the church. However, if we want to hear from God on a daily basis, we are to read. We are to understand his, his word correctly. So reading the word of God by the spirit of God is the primary way to hear God's voice. But back to Joseph now. He's having a dream. He's having some kind of vision. The angel says, get up, Joe. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. So although Joseph was not Jesus's biological father, Joe was his legal father. God the father ordained Joseph to protect Jesus as a child. So in other words, Joe's mission here on earth included Jesus's safety and his well-being. Now, dear friends, that's a pretty tall order, if you ask me. Angel tells Joseph to flee. Uh, this idea of flee, it's where we get our, our uh, word fugitive. So they're acting like fugitives at this point. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think Joseph just kind of woke up from that dream and decided to go back to sleep? Did he just kind of... Take a yawn, hit snooze, roll back over in bed. Is that what he did? Amy would love to do that, I think. <laughs> you got to have some coffee first? Okay. No, he woke up. He immediately uh, started packing bags. They were, they were to get up and go and not stop traveling to Egypt until they, got, until they got there. It was a 75 mile trip from Bethlehem to Egypt and probably another 100 miles or so to find shelter and safety. This trip probably took about two weeks. Now the question becomes, why Egypt? Why on earth would the, this angel send them to Egypt of all places? Now if you were Joe, wouldn't you have a couple questions for God before you start packing bags? Hey, God, is Egypt really the place, I mean, that you want us to, is that really the safest place you want us to go? Are you sure about this, God? Just a little reminder, Egypt is where we were enslaved. That's where Moses turned water into blood. And then there was this whole thing with the frogs and the gnats and the flies. And, and Joe, he's probably not a big fan of insects anyway. And then the death of the firstborn son. Hello. Not that I'm going to doubt you, God, but I just kind of am right now at this moment. 
you guys leave me up here hang, like hanging, like I'm the only one who ever doubts God. <laughs> Isn't Egypt the last place that they should go? Well, Alexander the Great, he set up a safe haven for the Jews in Alexandria. Alexander named the city after himself, Alexander, Alexandria. Alexandria turned into a very special place for the Jews to get away from Herod. Remember, Herod's a lunatic. Uh, Herod has no jurisdiction in Egypt whatsoever. And in fact, by the first century, there's more than a million Jews who are living in Egypt once again. Now, notice here that God did not supernaturally transport the family to Egypt. Remember when Philip was evangelizing the Ethiopian eunuch? Remember that? Back in Acts 8, he doesn't do that here. They had to walk this very, very long and dangerous journey just like the other Jewish families. Just because God ordained Joseph and Mary to raise his son, it doesn't mean that they get a pass on pain. They don't get a pass on the reality of life and how hard this journey is. They don't get a ride first class. I mean, Jesus was a, he was born in a barn, And as we'll find out, Jesus never performed a miracle to benefit himself either. Why is that, by the way? He never performed a miracle because we as humans, or he never performed a miracle to benefit himself because we as humans, we don't have those kind of supernatural powers either. See, as the son of man, meaning that Jesus is a human being, just like you and I, Jesus completely identifies with you when you experience the hardship and the pain that you're going through. So the angel continues here. Verse 13, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So Herod hasn't started yet. He hasn't started searching, but he's getting ready to. And that's the reason why Joseph needs to be instantly obedient to the Lord. The child's life is in Joe's hands. Now, that's a pretty good reason why why Joseph needs to start packing bags, getting Jesus and Mary out of town under the cover of night. Now, King Herod the Great, he's not searching for potential threats to the nation of Israel. That's not what's going on here. Really, we could call King Herod, King Herod the Coward, because he's on a search and destroy mission to kill a baby. Herod's anger prevents him from thinking correctly at this moment. So back to verse 13, let's put this this whole thing back together. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he says, get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. Now Matthew is starting to hint at something here. You guys ever do this when you're growing up? playing with your friends, kickball, softball, football, whatever it was, and somebody calls a do-over. Do-over, right? A car's coming, you're playing in the little street. Do-over. Well, Matthew is hinting at Israel's do-over in verse 13. As the perfect son of man, Jesus is now going to succeed where Israel failed. So in other words, Jesus is the new Moses leading a new exodus. And we'll see that more clearly here in a moment. Verse 14. So he got up. This is Joe. He he gets up. He took the child and his mother during the night and they escaped to Egypt. 
So although Joseph may have all those questions still running through his mind, he still responds in obedience. Now, do you think Joe's just a tad worried about packing bags and, and getting everything ready for this trip? Absolutely. But here's the key. He doesn't pause. He doesn't start him hawing around. He, he doesn't start making excuses why he can't go or why this is too hard. He just does it. Brings us to a, our first key point today. There is no doubt that Joseph is filled with doubt. There's no doubt Joseph is filled with fear and doubt. But he does something that he doesn't necessarily want to do. He moves forward through that doubt. He pushes through the pain and the fear. He doesn't know what to expect here. He doesn't even know where he's going. I mean, he just knows he's going to Egypt. Egypt's a big place. That'd be like saying, hey, Mike, I'm going to meet you for lunch uh, in Phoenix. Okay, same thing with these guys. They don't really know where they're going. Verse 15, he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the, by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Two things here with verse 15. That phrase there, so that, Joseph has no idea that he's being used by God to fulfill scripture. And secondly, Matthew gives us a hint of Israel's do-over again. Matthew is quoting Hosea 11.1. 1. Have you guys ever read the book of Hosea? Oh, Hosea is an amazing book. <laughs> Hosea's root name, Hosea, comes from Yeshua. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, they, they all come from the root name. In the book of Hosea, God demonstrates his love for Israel using a metaphor in part of the book. Hosea himself, he marries this wild, adulterous woman named Gomer. Now, if you ask me, he's off to a bad start. I'm just saying. That should have been a little clue. This is not going to go well. <laughs> Let me show you Hosea 11.1 1 here. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So in this text, Israel, the nation of Israel is called God's son. So in other words, Hosea is referring to the Exodus here. However, Matthew also hints at Jesus um, being a new Moses leading a new Exodus. So Matthew is opening up our spiritual eyes here, telling us that Hosea's prophecy has a dual meaning. So yes, Moses led Israel out of Egypt, but they also wandered in the desert for 40 years, didn't they? They were just doing Sinai laps. They were just walking around Mount Sinai for 40 years. The Israelites also dealt with their sin by the blood of animals. That was called a, a temporary appeasement. So in other words, Matthew is telling us that Jesus is going to fulfill this passage perfectly by leading a new kind of exodus that is not under the, uh, the law of sin and death. But it's under the grace of under God's grace, in which Jesus sheds his own blood to propitiate God's wrath. Yes, Israel was God's son, but a disobedient son. Jesus, on the other hand, is the beloved son with whom the father is well pleased. 
Now, there is a theological motif here that Matthew introduces in this text. It's this idea of divine sonship. Just as God saved Israel from Pharaoh, God saves Jesus from Herod. The Israelites, they they spent uh, 40 years in the desert because of their sin. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert being tempted by sin. Israel, they were supposed to bear fruit. Jesus is the true vine. So Matthew is showing us how Jesus is the recapitulation of Israel. Recapitulation, it just is a $2 word for do-over. It's a do-over, and this is important, because God's summation of the Old Testament is found in his son. So for example, Noah's Ark, that was a shadow of Jesus' cross. Yes, Noah's Ark saved people from God's judgment temporarily, but Jesus saves people from God's judgment eternally. So Jesus, 1 Peter 3.18 says, Jesus is the true ark. If you do a Bible study on this, on recapitulation, it is amazing. You'll be blown away. Jesus is weaved all the way through the Old Testament, revealed in, in the New. Let me just give you a couple examples. Jesus is the rock that was talked about in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, Jesus is living water, John 4.13. Jesus is the bread, John 6, 35. Jesus is the tabernacle. This this study right here of Jesus being the tabernacle, that'll blow you away, Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. Jesus is the Sabbath, Matthew 11, 28. Jesus is the, the Jewish festivals. There's seven Jewish festivals. He is each one, Colossians 2. He's the great I am, John 8, 58. And he's the bridegroom, Revelation 19. So that, that really is a lot of fun to see Jesus in the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul, he sums up what Matthew is, is hinting at here in the book of Ephesians. Let me show you this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all the wisdom, with all the understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will. That mystery there is the gospel, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. And then in verse 10, we see this, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ. So let me land this plane now and get back to Matthew. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that Joseph knew that he was being a part of fulfilling prophecy at all? Is that something that Joe raised his hand for before the foundations of the world? Hey, I think I'd love to take care of your son. Sign me up for that. There's no way. Remember remember the story how Joe and, and Mary lost Jesus at the Passover? I bet Joseph was freaking out. They lost Jesus. How's that conversation even go? Joe and Mary walking back to Jerusalem and they start asking around, "Uh, excuse me, excuse me, have you happened to see the son of God walking around? The king king of kings, the savior of the world, he's about this high. 
We kind of lost him. Joseph gets to heaven and he meets Moses. And Moses says, hey, Joe, I heard you lost God's son. And man, I thought I screwed up. See, Joseph and Mary, they don't know what's going on at this moment. They have no idea in their lives what's going on. They're packing their bags. They're not knowing where they're physically going. Are they just a little worried? They are. And yet, God has them in the palm of his hand. So what about you guys? What are you worried about today? Did you sign up for the trials that you're going through? Did you sign up for disobedient children and grandchildren? Did you ever pray for health problems? Are you worried about your finances, your retirement, insurance, all these earthy burdens? Are they weighing you down this morning? Hmm. From a bigger perspective, would you ever ever guess that this great country that we live in is unraveling at a pace that nobody can understand? Today's scripture passage is vital to us today because it reveals the sovereignty of God. Key point number two, God is in control regardless of what we believe or how we feel. God is in control regardless of what we believe or how we feel. Joseph believed that God was in control. How do we know that? Because we see his obedience in the text. When we face a trial or crisis of our own, what we do next at that moment proves what we truly believe about God. Joseph has no idea where he's going, how long this trip is going to take, and how long he's going to be there. And yet, it's in those moments of doubt and fear and worry. It's in that moment right there where anxiety overwhelms him. He steps in. He chooses to obey. Those kind of choices, dear friends, they build spiritual muscle. Joe is not some kind of super saint here. We, we know next to nothing about this man. But the one thing that we do know is that he's an, he's an obedient man. Joe didn't sign up to be Jesus' legal guardian. He just was. That's the hand that he was dealt. And you guys didn't sign up for the things that are causing you to worry today either. And yet here you are. Joe was just like you and me. He loves God and he follows him imperfectly. So dear friends, please know that you don't have to follow Jesus perfectly, but you do need to follow him increasingly and to be increasingly obedient. As that old saying goes, some of you are coming out of a trial. Some of you are in the middle of a trial and others, are, uh, others of you are getting ready to go into a trial. Key point number three for today is this, what separates a disciple from a Christian is choosing not only to love God's promises, but also his commands. What separates a disciple from a Christian is choosing not to love God's promises, we're just going to cling on all the good stuff, but also his commands. 
The commands of Jesus, they're not burdensome. I know every generation has said this, but I think the past two years has really brought this home. The days of wanting all of Jesus with no work are coming to an end. And I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about sanctification. Key point number four for today. See, it's in the trials where we can't fake obedience. It's in our trials to where we cannot fake obedience. It is impossible to pretend that you're being obedient when God leads you back to Egypt. So dear friends, don't go alone. Are you prepared when Jesus speaks to you through his word today or tomorrow or this week? Are you prepared to have a divine disruption or a God intersection? God comes out of left field and he he gives you something that you weren't even, it wasn't even on your radar. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for the the current instability of the world, not knowing what tomorrow is going to be like? I think the past two years have been an appetizer for us, preparing us for the meal. It's going to be tough. Are we ready? Because there are only two things that are eternal. You got God's word and God's people. And dear friends, Joseph is an example of how he clings to both. Father in heaven, what an amazing text this morning. That you have predestined and purposed your son to fulfill every dot, cross every T, fulfilled in the old in the Old Testament, fulfilling the law. You have given us prophets and shadows and types. And as we read about Jesus fleeing. Uh, his hometown to Egypt. Next week, we'll get to the idea of him fleeing Egypt, getting back to his own hometown. Thank you for the reminder that Jesus himself didn't get a pass on pain, that we can identify with Jesus with every aspect of our life. Lord, I do pray for our God intersections and our divine disruptions. I pray that you would prepare us that we, as believers and disciples and Christians, that we are the salt, we are the light of this valley, that we would do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray for our friends in the Verde Valley, for those who do not know you, for them to realize that there is an answer, there is hope, and it doesn't come from the earth, it's not earthy, it's heavenly. So, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for your son. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.